Can you hear my room? No, you can't. <laughs> You're really glitchy. Yeah, it's because I was walking away. I was in my room for a second. So now I'm coming back, right? I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. There, not glitchy anymore, huh? I was looking at the heat index chart. It's pretty interesting because it's 80 degrees here, 50% humidity. And according to the heat index chart, let's see, go over, go over. It feels like 81. Oh, 80, it feels like 81. Bullshit. What's that? What's that? I'm sorry. Well, I'm looking at the heat index chart because I'm trying to, because you know, you know how wind chill factor makes it feel colder and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if it's, if it's more humid out, it makes it for me anyway, it makes it feel just so much more oppressive and, and, and muggy and hot. So I decided to look at the heat index chart to see how much it actually does change the feeling of the heat. And it's 80 degrees here and 50% humidity. And I, I think it feels like it's a hundred. But according to the heat index chart, it feels like 81. It's a big deal. That's not big, that's not a big change. And it's supposedly, it's supposedly they take these values being in a shade with a light wind. You know, so I'm inside, so it feels a little more shitty. It says here, let's see, 95 degrees out, right? If you have a relative humidity of 50, it feels like 107. That's crazy. Well, don't don't feel too bad for yourself, man. It hit 130 in Death Valley yesterday. That's good. And in Canada, a couple of days ago, remember? It's like 120 degrees in Canada. A bunch of fire yeah, started. Seattle and all crazy. that stuff. It was like 113 yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Crazy. That's insane. But uh, according to this heat index, I want to find the really, really big one. So it's gotten to nine, it got to 100 degrees last year once, right? That one day it got to 105 or something crazy. And then I would say that I would say that humidity had to be pretty high that day. How, what do you think it was? 60, 70? I don't remember let's that, go, man. Let's go with six. Let's go with 60. Um, you don't remember the 105 degree day? I don't remember the humidity on that day. Oh, I mean, well, yeah, it was just so hot. It didn't matter. Right. But according to this 105 degree day, and let's say the average here is about 60 would feel like, I can't wait to see this. It would feel like 149. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds about right. That day was horrible. Remember I took a picture of of the uh, thermometer in my car and it was like, I think yours was like 110 or something. Oh, yeah, 109. I do remember that. Yeah. And mine was at like 105 or something. It was so horrible. 60% humidity at 105 is 149. That's, That's crazy. insane, dude. Oh, the highest temperature here is 40% humidity. If it's 115 degrees, it feels like 151. You said it got to what, 130 in Death Valley? Yeah, yesterday, 130 in Death Valley. Okay, so, and it doesn't have a whole lot of humidity in Death Valley. So maybe it was 20%. like 6%. Six percent. There you go. So, uh, one twenty. Well, one fifteen with five percent humidity feels like one hundred seven. So it actually feels like less with less humidity. See, I knew it. That's crazy. Mm, I don't know about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it says in the shade with a light wind is how they judge us. Well, your shade may differ from my shade. What kind of shade are we talking about here? A tree. One fifteen. Five percent humidity is one hundred seven. Tree so it says it feels. Shut up. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> well, this is this is another one. I don't agree with this. It says if it was 70 degrees out, I remember there was a 70 degree day and it was like 90% humidity and it felt horrible. It felt like 100 degrees. I was miserable that day. And then I compared it with like a 90 degree day with low humidity and it wasn't near as bad, high heat. But according to this, 70 degrees with let's say 20% humidity says it feels like 66. So it supposedly feels like less hot. I don't know if I agree with that. You know what I mean? I don't know how they calculate those values, but it doesn't really matter. Well, it says right here. I think I think more humidity is uh, to me hotter. tends to be hotter just for me because I'm sweating. Now, people that people me that too. are from somewhere where it's really humid, the dry is worse for them. I can tolerate dry much more than I can humidity. How so, can the dry be worse for you when it's hot out and it's dry? That doesn't make any sense. I've been at to to like Laughlin, Nevada, and stuff when it's like 100 degrees out, and I get like that sand blasted in my face, but it's super dry. And it sucks, but I can deal with that. It's the humid that sucks. I think it's what you're used to. The people that are complaining about that are people I know that are from like the South and stuff that complain about the dry heat. They like the humidity. Well, they can't complain about it here because this is one of the more humid spots in the country. So I don't know, but today it's it's like 82. So 
<laughs> it's, it's 80 degrees and 50% humidity. And according to this, it makes it feel like 81. And I'm thinking, bullshit, makes it feel hotter. Or at least it's not over 50. Uh, you know what it feels like to me right about now? What? About 72. But it's 80. Oh, it's in, you're inside, huh? Yes. With your AC on. Yeah, I know. My room, I woke up this morning actually shivering. I love that little AC. So awesome. And I'm like, like the curiosity, like, how hot is it going to be today? I can't tell because it's 60 degrees in my room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You wake <laughs> it up in the middle of the day. You don't know. It's like you crack open the crypt and come out and you're hit with oh, whatever. And, and I walked into a furnace in my living room. It was so funny. That's funny. Well, hey, dude, uh, let's start up here. We're episode 72. Oh, welcome to Scatterbrand Podcast, episode 72. What's shaking, buddy? How you doing? What's shaking, baby? Uh, <laughs> we're just talking about the heat here, heat index. I don't agree with this, but whatever. It's uh, you know, as long as it doesn't get over fifty percent humidity, I guess we're okay, right? Yep. Uh, the the record is in Death Valley, and it was like uh, one thirty four. Uh, and Libya, I think it tied uh, somewhere in Libya or the Sahara Desert. It was the uh, same temperature. So, well, this was this measurement was at in like nineteen thirteen, and I guess they're calling into suspect or calling it suspect. So even if if that one and there was like a previous uh, record that was, I think, the one you're referring to, that was also suspect. So even if they threw those two out, it would be Death Valley at 130. Oh, I see what you're saying. But oh, you're talking about the 130. It was 132 in Death Valley, 132 in like Libya or something like that. 130, 134. So 134. Oh, wow. And oh, I thought it was. Yeah. 1917, you said? 13, 13, I think. I think 13. I don't know. I just looked it up earlier today. I was talking with the oldest about it because we were talking about the heat. Synchronicity. Let's see here. It's a simulation. Oh, that's right. Hey, man. Hey, on Thursday, I was like, it was so busy on Thursday. And I'm all, computer, please slow it down a little bit. This is out of control, please. No repercussions. Just stop. Computer, slow down. Stop. And Friday was so slow. <laughs> we haven't had a slow day there. I don't think since I've been there, dude. Maybe one. Wow, that's I was great. Out. I was tripping out. I'm like, is it really a computer simulation I'm talking to you? No, I, I know it's not. You never know. It's kind of, kind of weird coincidences, yeah. Well, for those who are, are sharing the, the hallucination with us, you can find us at ScatterbrainPod on Twitter and at ScatterbrainPod SD, as in San Diego, on Instagram. You can also email us at ScatterbrainPod at Outlook.com or find us at ScatterbrainPodcast.com. Uh, we just got added to iHeartRadio. So maybe my dad will listen to me now. Maybe maybe we're gonna be convert him. Can you imagine my dad with like long hair? Oh, oh God, is he? <laughs> is so he just primarily does that platform or? Um, he likes iHeartRadio. Oh, yeah. okay. So is what is iHeartRadio? Is that like an Apple thing or what is that? No, it's just another platform. Admittedly, I'm not. You know, I don't use it, but I know it's pretty popular. So I thought I'd check it out. It's like. Think like Spotify, think like Pandora, all that stuff oh, where you have oh. podcasts and all that stuff. And it's just another service that you can okay. use for free with ads or whatever, or pay for it probably. Just like Spotify. Oh, so you can just download download it onto your phone. Yeah, and yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, all right. Is that that one's pretty? That one's pretty popular, huh? Yeah, people like him will find it. So maybe we'll convert him. We'll see him, and he'll have like a beard and long yeah, hair. And a Dreads- corp, yeah, Camel Corp shirt on. That would be pretty nose fun. Ring. Actually, yeah. <laughs> nose ring. Nose ring. Yeah. Speaking about alternate realities, tell me about the helicopter situation over there. You seem pretty oh, fl- flummoxed dude, by the whole thing. It kind of freaked me. It was a little bit. It was a little bit unsettling because it was like I actually was asking myself, "I'm like, did I do something wrong?" Because it was like literally over my house, circling my house. And then I heard it say a couple of times. I, I came out and I was eating some chips and I cracked a beer. And I'm like, "Oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta get moving up." Because I was, I took off a few hours early to take my car to the shop, right? And I thought, well, I'm going to come home and change, eat some food, and then drop Stanley off here because I didn't have a, a ride yet set up to come back. And then so I was eating and having a beer and everything. And then um, all of a sudden, I hear the helicopter really low. And then I kind of look out the window, and all of a sudden, I hear, come out with your hands up. Do not resist. And then about a minute later, come out with your hands up. Do not resist. And it's like looking like it's circling my house, dude. And I'm like looking around like, what? what wait, what? <laughs> you know? And so I, I started recording a little bit of it just to show how low it was, man. It was like, it was circling my house. And I, I decided I'm going to walk Stanley, right? Just see what happens. So I go out and the neighbor's out there and he looks at me funny and he goes, 
I woke up a couple hours late for work. Is that really serious now? And I said, I don't know. I just got off like three hours early. Is that serious? He goes, I don't think so. But we walked around the corner and back, me and him, and um, didn't see any, I didn't hear any sirens, no cop cars anywhere. It was weird. And then he just kind of shrugged, went back in. And then I was walking Stanley over by the church and that helicopter was following me. It was like really low, like behind me. And then I come You're walking into like some like hostage situation. You're going to get shot. Dude, exactly. I went towards the church, but one street over, not even a half a block from me, you have to go like kind of far down and around like a horseshoe to come back. But it's literally like over the house across the street right there is a total people barricaded themselves in the house. And it was ended up being like some sort of standoff situation. And wow, so that's crazy. That's why it seemed like it was circling my house and me because it kind of was. It was just right there, dude. It was so weird. But it, I was like, it made me kind of nervous, dude. I'm like, what yeah, the hell is going reason. on with this shit, man? I mean, I know it's not me, but something weird's going on here. It was really trippy. And then I texted my friend Griff about it. And then he he and I used to live together. And across the street is a retired um, detective, homicide detective. And he's got all the, and, you know, he's, he knows the scoop and everything. And then Griff texted me back and said, oh, uh, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but so-and-so just texted me back and uh, said that these are the guys who hit someone, hit a motorcycle cop yesterday. And they were wanted anyway. Then they did a home invasion and the police were called on them and they were chased. And then they like ducked into some random house right here by wow, my house. That's crazy. And then barricaded themselves in and shit. I have no idea how it ended though. But that thing circled for like an hour and a half. Wow. Isn't that weird? That, that is weird. When you see a helicopter really low like that and it's like facing you and you hear come out with your hands up. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. Well, I've been, I've, I've had that too where you hear stuff and some, fortunately, I mean, not fortunately, but at least it's, you know, it'll sometimes oftentimes where I'm at, it's like they're looking for some elderly person, you know? Yeah, that's a little different. They, but still, you're trying to like, what are they saying? What are they saying? And if they're flying over your house, it's weird, you know? Yeah. Mr. Oswald, please come out with your cane up. <laughs> no, so yeah. One time uh, I was uh, just on the couch. It was probably it was last year. It would have been during the summertime, probably about a year ago. And it was really, really, really weird because I was, like, like, I don't know if I had fallen asleep early and then woke up, but it was like the middle of the like really early morning. I don't know, three in the morning, two in the morning. I don't know. And I was sitting there w- probably watching YouTube or something, maybe a movie or whatever, doing something. And like this helicopter flew over and it was like radiating this really low sound. Or I thought it was a helicopter. I couldn't think of what else it was. Maybe it was an alien, actually. And, and it just was like this really like low rumbling sound of like super low frequency. It was really weird. And then like my Bluetooth headset and stuff, like it all cut out. And then yeah. like the thing flew away, like after like, like it only cut up for like a, a couple seconds, like as this thing like was going over slow and then that was it. And everything worked again. It was really weird. Trippy. Yeah. Maybe they were, maybe it was, maybe they were looking for you. They, they were confused. No. For what? That's a pretty high, that's a pretty severe penalty for leaving work early for, for going to the shop. I don't yeah. know. It seems kind of serious. Anyway. Yeah, it was just really weird because I kept looking at Stanley and looking up at the helicopter. And then I said, I went out and I started like recording it on my phone and I'm thinking, this probably isn't that smart. They could think this is a gun or, you know, they could think this is a gun or something. Because I know they saw me. They were, I mean, they were literally following me and Stan as I was walking around the church. And now I know why. They didn't know whether I was part of the, that gang or who those people were, you know. They had no idea. But I just yeah, kind of kept looking over my shoulder and there was a helicopter just hovering, staring at me. I'm <laughs> like, holy shit, that's weird. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. I know. It was very strange. Yeah, I mean, he flew around for a good hour and a half, I think. I don't know how it ended, though. Did you hear anything? Whether no. they caught him or shot him? No idea. At one point, I te- I heard gunshots, and I texted Griff, and I said, oh, my God, I just heard gunshots. And he's he texted me back. He's like, yep, I think that's how it's going to end or something. And I was like, okay. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, it's pretty weird, yeah. huh? You know, what's, you know what, dude? Uh, sort of random here. Do you like Prince? Do you ever listen to Prince, or do you appreciate Prince in any way, shape, or form? Uh, I didn't listen to him particularly, but, of course, I've heard him, and he was a great guitar player. Oh, yeah, dude. I don't know. I kind of went off for some reason on some Prince this week. And uh, so, some of his songs are hilarious, dude, <laughs> but just super uh, good, you know? So the lyrics are, yeah. Definitely. Have you heard that song, uh, Controversy? Probably not. Yeah, that's one of my favorites from him. Also, there's another one. They, they list it on Spotify as P Control. As what? P, like P period control. Okay. 
Yeah, I check know, it out. I don't, I don't know. Okay, all right. I know the the main reason I don't like Prince, I guess, is because I grew up at the time when Purple Rain came out, and everybody played it over and over, and it drove me insane. I could see it's that. Like, I, I can't fucking listen to this anymore. It's driving me nuts. But that album was just so utterly popular for years after it came out. It's just man, everyone was everyone I knew even was listening to it. I'm like, just stop. Yeah, yeah. He uh, a lot of his stuff. I, I'm not into there's a lot of stuff i'm not into from him but all across his catalog different different eras they've all got he's always got some good songs so yeah and it's, good. it's very eclectic too it's not exactly like, good yeah. feel usually got that kind of good funk to it you know what i mean or good feel to oh, it don't, I don't know. yeah don't get me wrong i know he was a great musician did great music but um not my thing i guess you know yeah just like uh, michael jackson or you know i like that uh, let me Marvel. ask you this then this is controversial uh, metallica uh-oh. What, what about, about Injustice for All? What about it? Is that a good one? The song or the album? The album. Uh, I don't know how to answer that because when it first came out, I did not like it. I didn't like it for a long time. And the last time I heard it, probably 10 years ago. Um, it was actually fairly entertaining. Uh, what I don't like about it is they're trying to do too much. They're trying to like prove something, I guess. And you can't hear any bass at all, which is. Yeah. Like, well, you've heard that story. I don't know. Yeah. But, that one. yeah. but uh, as far as like going back now, after actually knowing the songs, it was way more entertaining the last time I listened to it. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's, I would say it's a, I would say it's a good album. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's gotten a lot of the criticism of it for the bass as well, but now, can you can you go to the Black album and feel the same way about it? I think I might like the Black album a little bit more, even though I could tell that was the beginning of the end for Metallica. It was definitely the couple of songs on there that were all real super mellow, kind of not Metallica sounding. I was like, "Uh oh, is this what's coming?" And it sure did, what, right? Yep, and that's what was coming too, because Load and Reload are garbage. Yeah, so well, so is the other one, the one where Sing did, Anger. Yeah, we turned the snares off. Oh God, Sing Anger was horrific. That's yeah. unlistenable. I listened to it twice, maybe, and I, it's like, oh God. And I think that was about the time where I just completely gave up on Metallica. Yeah. That and the whole Napster thing with with him going to Congress and bitching about it. It's like, okay, you lost me here. I mean, I know they got to make money, but it just seemed kind of kind of pussy in a way. Yeah, at the risk at the risk of being a Lars apologist because I'm not, but. You know, I think part of it was not necessarily, and I'm not putting words into his mouth, and I don't know anything about it really. You know, I didn't follow it too heavy. I just know that's what it was. But he's probably more about the other people. It doesn't necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily because he was worried about him losing out on the money when he's making his millions, more about the other people in general. Or is that being, so? too, is that, is that being too uh, forgiving of Lars? I don't know. I just I'm I'm basing what I said like on more the on the con- like more on the concept. Like yeah, it was more, he used it was it more the Metallica. way it was more the way I felt at the time is what I'm basing it on. I haven't yeah. really thought I haven't thought through that, you know. But at the time, I was like, oh, you're a jerk, you know. Yeah, I, I felt the same way, but now yeah. I think about it now, and I'm kind of just wonder like, well, maybe it wasn't really about Metallica. It was just that was the example that he could give that was big, you know. I guess. But if you go in and you and you screw with someone's bass tracks, then any sort of positivity maybe you don't earn well and i suppose if you go in like napster did and screw with people's income people are going to get pissed yeah as well. that's, that's what, that's I mean, what yeah. he was yeah yeah so, so i can see that i could see that side of it yeah well it was an interesting time man because i mean you could there were there, there weren't rules for it everything was just blowing yeah. up and you had all these things and it became then you know bit torrents which are decentralized yeah. now and there's all these whole other way concern considerations with that but I remember, I remember in the early 2000s going over to my brother-in-law's house, and I wanted some songs on a disc, uh, and uh, it was it was propane. And I said, "Yeah, dude, download oh, yeah. me some pro, download me some propane songs, and just put a mix on a on a CD for me, and I'll just kick back and wait." And he looked at me, he's like, "You want to wait, really?" I'm like, "Yeah, why? What's the big deal, right?" It took like three hours to 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 burn those songs onto that disc. It was ridiculous. Yeah, things were slower. You know, oh my god, so, so. them was slower and everything. So yeah, just getting a full song was like took forever. I was just like, oh god, I don't know if this is worth it, but it well, it was kind of difficult at the time, you know, and then not, I'm not justifying it, even though a lot of people did it, but the CD back then would cost you 20 bucks. Yeah, right. like, that was a right. lot of money. I mean, not to you know, you don't steal just because, but a lot of people did, and people could 
before there were like real rules and enforcement for it. Yeah. But now, you know, I'm at the point where if I want, I can afford to buy something on Bandcamp or pay for the Spotify, even though I know people shit on Spotify too, because they don't pay. That's a whole other debate. All of them. I think all of them don't pay enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's it's almost like they're getting legally ripped off now, not just from like Napster or something. It's it kind of sucks, you know. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing, uh Bandcamp, you know, you can buy stuff through there and a lot of it, a lot of small bands and other other bands and acts are on there and you can buy t-shirts and different things, but the audio on there is much better. You know, if you listen to I bought like Bandcamp? Be- oh, yeah. So if you listen to Beekeeper for example, here's like a specific example I'll call it. Beekeeper on Spotify. Sounds good. I like it. It's a good album. But then the Bandcamp version just sounds so much better, like it's encoded, like it's encoded better or something, you know? Huh? I wonder why. That's strange. You know, Bandcamp is is just run by the bands or something. Oh, uh, it's a company, but yeah, you can run your. My understanding is you kind of can host a band page right there and sell your stuff through them, and I'm sure Bandcamp gets a cut or whatever. But they handle all your streaming, I think, of your audio and stuff. They're like the Green Bay Packers of the music world. Right, uh, the, the fans and the, the bands own the content. No, I, have no I don't idea. know. I don't know. I don't know dude. It's just another distribution platform, but you can buy it from them, you know. And then I guess the idea is that the bands get a bigger cut, right? Now you can do you can do like the free Spotify, right? And you get like only a couple songs per album, unless you pay for it. Is that right? I think that's how it works. Because I've always paid for know. it. So. I've always paid for it, so I don't know. Yeah, I think I think you can still use it and still listen to podcasts for free, but um, you can't like just download. You can't like have your own album, full album. They'll give you a couple of songs, but that's it. And then it starts doing like a shuffle based off of those stations kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I never did the free thing. So I just wanted to make sure I could get everything. So it's worth it. I mean, it's worth it for the consumer, but I don't I don't see that it's entirely worth it for the for the bands, maybe. Yeah. Um, but you have to do it. I mean, if you're in a band, you have to do it. Get your stuff on iTunes and all that stuff. But it's kind of neat being able to get your stuff out there, you know, like that. Well, anything, anything. Look at look at like this podcast, man. You know, someone yeah. else hosts it. Anchor hosts it. It's kind of cool. And if we wanted to put ads, we could we could put ads and do all that stuff. But us doing it and publishing it off there, I'm sure helps them with more links, whatever, search engine results, whatever it is. I have no idea. Oh, right um let's go let's go into the uh album review here okay yeah all right so i guess when you were were talking about being able to have access to everything and stuff you get to try different things that um, you may not buy or even know about right yeah this this band cerebral rot Rot. i've heard of them but i've never really listened to them same here and they just released Fairly recently, June 25th, 2021, a seven song album, 47 minutes, 29 seconds called Excretion of Mortality. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, it was one that you discovered, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I listened to a couple songs and I thought, oh, we have to review this. Yeah. This is their second full length. These guys are, are from Seattle, Washington. They formed in 2016. And they're, if you look them up, it says death metal band, but to me, they sound more like something like sludgy. They're just like a doom death. Or yeah, something. I don't know, just like sludge. I don't know. I know. Even I how know. how the sound production, it's like sludge. I know. I know. And it's um, even their faster songs still sound really kind of slowish, like just they're bogging down. And yeah. it, it almost sounds like they not only tune the guitars down, but it almost sounds like the drummer tunes down his snare drum, so it's like he's hitting a pool of water or something. It's all thud. It's fucking. It's kind of interesting. Um, and one of the things I read, it said their mission statement is to, to create offensive music, both lyrically and musically. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know if I'd call it offensive, but. Like I said, these guys formed in, in 2016. They have uh, Zach Nell on bass, Drew O'Brien on drums, Ian Schwab on guitars and vocals. Yeah. And oh, also known as purveyor of destruction. Okay. Very, very yeah. good. <laughs> and then Kyle Lindstrom, who's uh, the second guitar. These guys are all from different bands. Tell me about it. I don't know. Well, this is like a side project. They're the vocalist, guitarist uh, Ian Schwab. He's an ex Warp Vomit, um, and the and bassist Zach Nell. He's ex Chronic Tomb. Uh, drummer Drew O'Brien is ex Acid Feast. 
and feted caustic wound guitarist Clyle, Clyle? That's a weird name. Clyle Lindstrom. And he came aboard in 2018. So he's the newest member. And they all play in different bands. So when they rehearse and play gigs and write music, whatever, they do it kind of whenever they can. Because this is not their prime band. Well, they must be doing a lot of it. I mean, this is their second album. Yeah. And they keep uh, they keep issuing stuff like um, in June of, I guess, 2018, maybe, or 17, 18. They released a privately issued four-song cassette demo titled Cessation of Life with a limited a limited edition run of 20 copies. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, well, a lot of that stuff is going back to it. I'm seeing on you know Bandcamp, people are doing that tapes now. Beekeeper did tapes, I think. Fermenter did tapes. There's all kinds of different people doing tapes again. That's I don't even awesome. have anything that can play tapes. Oh, I do. Yeah, I still do. Actually, both of my systems uh, in the house have a two two tape deck things you know to record uh i don't know how good the the newer one is because i haven't even used it you know it's kind of weird the record was finally given a limited seven inch vinyl release by parasitic records in september of not this year 2017 i think and it sold out instantly cerebral rot began touring across america's west coast before signing with 20 bucks spin in the new year you know a few years ago and they recorded their debut long player that year with producer detto vincent detto and um, it was called Odious Descent into Decay. And uh, it had a video and it streamed a single repulsive infestation of cad cadaver, which is what really kind of propelled them forward. And um, they released that when they were still on tour. But yeah, this is their second full length album. And I'm just going to come out and say it. I, I don't know why I like this. I'm surprised you do, actually. I've listened to this over and over. It's interesting. The, the leads, I mean, the leads are actually kind of good. I mean, you hear that slow sludgy kind of sound, oh, but it's, and they ride one note forever. And then, and then they'll do some kind of cool lead. And some of the changes are kind of cool too, actually. Yeah, I like this. Huh, interesting. I, I didn't think that you would like it. For me, I have to say that I, at first, I really did not like the production of this album. The first track, you know, it was, I was kind of not really into that's the worst song. Yeah, it just sounds really muddy to me. And I, I tried it on different systems and stuff. It's just really muddy. But yeah. then I started thinking about it because I listened to this, you know, a few times. And I think it's a choice they made for the when they recorded. Similar how yeah. black metal or thrash yeah. have a certain sound that you're going for. Yeah. This is just sludgy and chunky and just slow, you know? So that's, uh, to me, I, I started appreciating it from that perspective, I guess. They call it deliberately doughy with wet sounding blast beats and inhuman yeah. sounding guttural vocals. Yeah. So when I, when I think of it like that, I can just say that it's not that part of it is not necessarily my cup of tea. And so I struggled with it the first couple tracks. You did? Huh. Yeah, I, I, I sort of felt, yeah, well, like the first track, uh, it's the, isn't it the title track? excretion of mortality yeah yeah that one sort of dragged on it's like twice as long as it should be it's like what we've done with some of our songs where it's like oh okay it's a little short let's just play it twice it's kind of like what they did but then and as a result it makes it like six or seven minutes i don't remember what it is it's too long every song is seven songs four to seven minutes so every song is almost like is about six and a half minutes yeah on average yeah they're long fucking songs and that one was the worst song I, I think around track four, it got better for me. The Bowels of Decrepitude. <laughs> These are great names. I thought that was, that's about where it changed for me. It got better. Mm -hmm. The rest of the tracks, track five, Drowned in Malador. Do you know what that is? No, I don't know what, I don't know what Malador means. Yeah, Riching Innards is the next song. Yeah, that's track six. That's actually where, the la that one and the last one are my two favorite songs. And the last the one here. is my favorite. Yeah, same here. Eleven minute song, and it's my favorite song. I love the ending with just the snare drum. It just the last, what's it. the last song called again? Uh, crowning, oh my god, disgustulent. Crowning the disgustulent. What the hell does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Disgustulent. I, I have no idea. Is that how you say it? And my sure. thing cuts off here. It says breed of what? Crowning the disgustulent breed of repugnance. Oh, Repugnance. Okay, yeah. Oh, and the other songs are, let's see, Vile Yolk of Contagion, 
spewing purulence, bowels of decrepitude. Yeah. And the first song, excretion of mortality. Nice names, huh? Yeah. So I, I think it got better for me. Um, like I said, I had to sort of, I think the first two songs are the worst songs. And, but then I, I realized that part of it, like I said, after listening to it a few times, I realized that that was a production choice they made, just like these other yeah. genres I mentioned would have its own sound that you're going for. Yeah, I agree. And so I took it as for that. And I ended up, like I said, around, around track four or five got, got good. And the last two songs are really darn good. I think the last song shows what they can do musically. That's the long one. That's like the longest one, right? Yeah, I think it's 11 minutes or something. Yeah, these are the, I, I just I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the slowdowns. I think I just they, I was doing stuff when I was listening to it. Every time I was like doing laundry or vacuuming or something, just kind of keeping busy, and it was just kind of in the background. In a way, it was sort of. Um, I mean, it definitely has its repetitive parts, so it was kind of like uh, atmospheric doom metal or something for me. It's like sludgy caveman riffs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just like it bogs down so massively. And like I said, when it's when they try to speed up, even the speed up parts sound like they're struggling to get it a little bit faster. Kind of. I don't know. It's <laughs> even the fast parts sound kind of slow. I don't know. But I enjoyed that's, it. I that's actually the discipline. It. Sometimes having to stay stay slow instead of speed up. Oh, it's. I think it's harder. It's much harder to play yeah. drums anyway. To to play slow. Yeah. It, with a good tempo, with a good beat. Yeah, definitely. So what would what are you thinking you're going to give this then? Doesn't sound doesn't sound like you liked it. Uh, I like it. Probably about as good as Fulci. Um, but maybe I like Fulci a little more, and I gave Fulci a seven. Yeah. So, but then the last the last couple songs are really good. So I think I'm going to give it actually to bump it up and give it a seven point five. But on a on a uh, five star scale, I would give it a three point five. Wouldn't that be funny if after everything I just said, I said actually I hated it. It's a two. No, no. Um, I mean, yeah, I give this a seven point five. I I enjoyed it. There's better stuff out there, but I, I kind of enjoyed the the difference. It was just different than a lot of stuff we reviewed. Definitely like more like doom metal, but with the death metal vocals for sure. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. He's definitely mush mouth singer, you know, not really my type, but um, well, that's why I'm it, surprised it you liked it. Well, it fits. It fits with that really slow, just plodding on kind of music. And like I said, I like the guitar work. The guitar works kind of sold it for me. Although it does sound like they're tuned down to like, what's the lowest you can tune without your strings falling off. I think it's it like maybe like A or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's about where, cause I don't know. You have to get those, those baritone ones, you know, but the drums, so parts, parts of this album, the drums kind of cracked me up though. Cause it was like, he'd do this little roll, like you go, duh, 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 but it sounded like all like the, the skins were flapping on the drum set. Like, Oh my God. Even tuned down his drums. It's hilarious. The snare sounds really flat and like dead, you know, but um, yeah, a seven and a half sounds right. All right. Not a bad score. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm probably going to listen to this again before I listen to Inhuman Condition again. You know what I mean? Just because it's so different, interesting. But um, Inhuman Condition is definitely more polished, you know, has more hooky stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I think sometimes with the slow stuff like this, I just tend to get bored. You know, yeah, overall, yeah. and not and not that it can't be super heavy at times, and that's all great. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I like slow, slow, chunky riffs too. But I, you know, I think certain ones I get with that. I get you know, a few songs in, and I'm done. <laughs> even if I like it, yeah, I like to change up. I like having I like having a band that goes fast to slow to fast to slow. These guys pretty much stick with slow, but that's fine. It is Cerebral Rot's new album called. Excretion of Mortality came out in uh, June 25th, 2021 at seven songs, 47 minutes. And um, yeah, it's definitely heavy. Yeah, it is. Check it out. I bet you these guys are great to see live. I mean, this would be, oh, it probably just be, be very fun. Yeah. Now we are going to do something I've been kind of looking forward to here as the topic. We're going to talk about a British American scientist named Freeman Dyson. And he had his hand in, um, many projects actually uh but the main one was project orion in the 1950s and he is actually what dyson spheres are named after kind of incorrectly but we'll get to that in a second so stay tuned for orion project and dyson spheres coming up next stay tuned 
Well, today we're going to be talking about Freeman Dyson. He was a British American scientist, like I said. Uh, he actually just died last February, 2020. Um, but he had a project going on in the 1950s called the Orion Project, and it was actually based right here in La Jolla, California. Did you know? Oh, I, did, I didn't know it was that based yeah. out here. Wow. They did a lot of the testing of the project out in the desert here, you know, because everything's pretty close. And they, I think they were, they were located or out of, they're based out of General Dynamics. Remember that General Dynamics? Oh, no, I don't think you lived here at that time. There used to be a huge General Dynamics plant right off the 163 over here. It was right off the freeway. And I think that's gone now, come to think of it. I think it left 20 years ago, maybe. But that, that was there for a long time. Uh, they tapped into all the technical know-how of, of General Dynamics in the 1950s and 60s in this area. Now, this is a guy, when he was five, he calculated the number of atoms in the sun. By the time he was 25, he cracks most intractable problems in theoretical physics, and he was given a job for life at Princeton University alongside um, Oppenheimer and uh, Albert Einstein, which is pretty impressive. And his project Orion was, uh, well, it was a military-funded project, and it was to get a spacecraft constructed that would be powered by nuclear power. Yeah, that's interesting. And <laughs> it's, it's kind of a like that more of that Cold War thing, right? I mean... Russia had just launched, launched Sputnik, right, the year before. Yeah, this this is kind of something. I guess you could say it's part of the Cold War thing, but this was almost kind of on the side or on the sidelines because um, it was just so far out there that it wasn't really a part of NASA or anything. It was just a, it was just a theoretical it was a theoretical thing. He figured it could work mathematically. He worked it out. You know, someone might hear and you know, oh, nuclear power, big deal. You know, we have nuclear power plants to power our cities, right? We have nuclear-powered submarines with nuclear warheads. You know, they can stay underwater conceivably for years without being refueled, you know. It's a big deal, right? But this was different because his idea was to actually detonate nuclear bombs behind the spacecraft. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> with a huge pusher plate that would accelerate the craft through space exponentially faster and faster with every explosion. So thousands upon thousands of nuclear explosions behind it to get it accelerating. That's insane. They're that's saying really that insane. humans could go, like in real like like really far and back right because of this propulsion system it's tucking insane speeds right you can get to insane speeds now part of the problem is slowing down um but yeah you can get to like a certain large percentage of the speed of light with this thing and it would just go it wouldn't just go a little bit fat like an ion drive pushes you very gently so you go faster and faster but very slower very slowly this thing just gets you up to speed like fast too like space ball one <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly um, the pusher plate, though, was, you know, it would be attached to the back of the, the spacecraft with you know, shock absorbers, hydraulics, you know, and it would have to be, I mean, it had to be in place because with every explosion, the jarring inside the ship would like rip humans to shreds, apparently. So there had to be something there to absorb, absorb the shock of thousands of nuclear explosions behind your spacecraft. Yeah, well, they're trying to like contain it, right? Some of the stuff that I, I read. It's, it's like they were at, trying to develop the systems that could handle because it, I guess, for the maximum efficiency had to be able to focus that force back into the, like against the, the ship, right? So to speak. Right. Yeah, not just blow them up like randomly. Right, randomly. The yeah, yet. they had to like be, this is like kind of do it like right there almost inside of it. The, and at a certain spot right behind it, have it right. like aimed a certain way. So it was, yeah, exactly. Um, and now this all sounds insane, but he had it mathematically worked out and claimed that it could be accomplished. And he ended up proving his concept was viable, actually. Well, after years of working on Project Ryan, you know, um, doing the math and everything, sooner or later, the military came around wanting to see if this was actually feasible. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, they want to they know what they're spending all their fucking money on is what they're doing. It's like, OK, show us something. Right. Yeah. But think about it, though, like if for like the, the chemical rockets, right, it's super expensive to have enough fuel to get up there and to do all these things. Right. Like that's a lot. Uh, Most of your money. spacecraft is fuel. Right, exactly. So if you yeah. can have a very dense energy source, mm -hmm. then you once you develop the technology, it's going to be much cheaper, right? Because then you can carry more payload instead of all the fuel to get your right. payload into orbit, right? For example, yeah. so it would totally be Cold War applicable. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And that was in the 50s, you know, well, not really in the 60s. That's when it kind of changed. But in the 40s and 50s, it, they called it like um, power too cheap to meter, you know, like so you know, it was just this fantastic thing. Everything was like about nuclear power. Yeah, it's like right out of the, that game Fallout, right? That like 1950s 
like suit and tie kind of like beaver cleaver you know that kind of right that kind right. of uh image you know mm-hmm. well dyson ended up putting together a demonstration uh for the military and he didn't even use any nuclear weapons of course he didn't have access to the nuclear weapons uh, but he used conventional bombs and he he built a small they you know his team built a small like kind of bullet shaped craft and it was about the size of the Apollo capsule, you know, the Apollo 11 capsule that went to the moon. And it, it was attached to like cables and was kind of hanging in midair on like, a, you know, some contraption. And then they exploded a bomb behind it to see if it would, if it, you know, as it detached, see if it would go up and it did. And then they exploded another bomb that went a little higher and then they kept exploding bombs behind it. Boom, 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 as it went higher and higher and higher. And it rose faster and faster and higher and higher. And it was up and away and it proved to the military, the military was shocked. I think Freeman Dyson was probably a little bit surprised himself at how well it worked using just conventional bombs right so uh, the demonstration for the military was so successful that he realized that they could actually build the spacecraft as big as they wanted to made out of whatever they wanted to steel you know stainless steel it didn't really matter they could make it as big and heavy as they wanted because of the nuclear explosions uh, would propel it into space and beyond earth's gravity with such force exponentially faster and faster that the size of the thing didn't matter so they just they decided to just scale it up and make it like basically like a uh, luxury hotel going into space. It's so funny. I thought it had to be a certain mass too for it to work and not get destroyed. I think there's like a lot of different factors going on, right? Well, they decided to build it as big as they wanted to, the size of a cruise ship even. It had all the amenities. Everyone had their own rooms. There's a big commissary. Yeah, awesome. like it had everything. Uh, they decided to design it as big as they wanted to as possible. And then once they got the weight of their final product, they would do the math and see if it would actually work. You know, so they were just, they were starting from the other direction because they wanted to, you know, they realized that there was enough power here. They could probably do this. Yeah. Uh, turned, experiment, turned, so to speak, right? Right, right. But they were going to build it. They intended on building it. It turned out the math worked and they could launch this thing. And, uh, and they're going to build it as big and beautiful as they wanted to. Basically a luxury hotel flying through space visiting all corners of the solar system in a matter of years, even only months because it was so fast. Dude. That crazy. Wow, that's insane. They even planned on, they even wanted to go to like the moons of Saturn and back, like not like within a lifetime or something, but like within a couple of years, like visit Venus and Mars and just go everywhere and then come back within a couple of years. It's crazy. Right. Take a vacation. That's, a, that's insane. Because my, they can my, get there. It's like, it's like six months right now, I think, right? Six to nine, to nine months. I think it's six months now. Oh, to Mars. To Mars. So yeah. if, you, if you could do this, I mean, you could be there, you know, a day or two, right? I mean, right. I, I don't know the speeds it's talking about. A week. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't make it a cruise, right? A two-week cruise? Yeah. Month-long that's cruise? crazy. Well, they're figuring they could tra- traverse the solar system visiting wherever they wanted to within a couple of years. I mean, that's pretty fast. Yeah. yeah and back, you know, and back. So, you know, <clears throat> they and they proved it was feasible. It could be done. I mean, they demonstrated it with just traditional bombs. That's really interesting because if you think about it, I mean, this gets back to that big question of uh, interstellar species, right? Is right, being able right. to figure these things out. Well, and we could actually do it uh, if we did the nuclear option. Um, uh, Stan Friedman was a UFO, ufologist or whatever, but he actually worked for all these different big companies in the 50s, up to the late 50s when, until he started researching the whole UFO thing. And um, he said we have – he worked on like engines that were uh, nuclear powered, and he said we have that capability. We had it 50 years ago. It's just a matter of doing it. It's a matter of the money and the politics and everything, you know. Yeah, well, there's definitely some resistance to it too, right? I mean, that's why oh, ultimately yeah. why they had to stop this type of thing. Well, what they stopped this because the nuclear showdown between the Soviet Union and the United States in 1961, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. And um, this close call with Armageddon prompted the U.S. and Soviet Union to sign a treaty banning all nuclear tests in the atmosphere and above ground. And that killed the Orion Project right there because they couldn't even launch it into space at that point. It was, it was banned. And the thing is, though, after it was discontinued, they did the math and the math bared out that, in fact, if they had gone along with this whole plan, uh, just launching a spacecraft from Earth into orbit would have killed, on average, about 10 people every time they launched, just from radiation, you know, radiation, nuclear fallout, mishaps, things like that, from detonating nu- nuclear bombs in the atmosphere. <laughs> and that's back then at that time. Now you multiply that by much more, considering it we're much more populous Probably, now. right, yeah. And that's with every launch. So yeah, this is one of the major flaws that was not really thought about until the project was discontinued. 
uh, you know, once you get into space, you could travel going exponentially fast. And in fact, Freeman Dyson planned to traverse the solar system visiting Venus, Jupiter, Mars, and even going so far out as Saturn in the span of only a few years. Uh, it mathematically would have worked and would have made traversing and exploring the solar system rather rapidly very possible for humans. Uh, all you had to do was sacrifice some people back on Earth with the nuclear fallout. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Could have been accomplished. So, yeah, I guess. But um, yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting concept. It's like, why not build a big nuclear reactor engine? You know, but he, let's just explode the bombs behind it. It's like, why would you? Why would you think of this? Why would you come up with that? You know, it's strange. You're not going to well, explode bombs a, behind a submarine. How about a nuclear? How about a nuclear? thing work exactly because you still have to be able to direct energy somewhere right so like with the rockets obviously it's burning fuel right so how would you do yeah, it with good point well how do, how do, well how does it work on submarines i guess you just need to power a corkscrew right it's hydroelectric water, yeah, so that's big yeah that's no big deal and nuclear power it's all steam i mean it's all run on steam. yeah that's all yeah. it is but how would so you do that how do you get the steam to to propel it exactly to get you into space you wouldn't be able to you'd have to use traditional rockets chemical rockets just to get into space then maybe it, it would work i don't know but maybe not yeah so maybe that was the only way to do it maybe you have to do it in, in baby steps baby steps as uh dr leo marvin would would suggest you know you you build you get a bunch of parts out there you stick it out in space and base make like a basis for launching out from orbit so you get all the pieces up there to make these nuclear rockets get them into orbit and then assemble it up there and then do your nuclear propulsion from there because then there wouldn't be people yeah that sounds terribly expensive but probably the only way to sure do it does but how else would you do it you would have to yeah. do it somehow right but look dude you don't want to you don't want to just have like live oh, people. nuclear stuff up there that the, the rockets explode and then uh, yeah, and you don't want, you don't want to be down. launching them in the atmosphere and killing people every right time exactly launch. yeah so that's yeah it doesn't work but yeah so that, i thought that was kind of an interesting uh interesting idea the fact that it was here in san diego and they worked on it forever too dude and just just to be shut down like that's probably a good thing though but um the fact that they could like get up to such massive speeds i forget what the percentage of the of the speed of light was but it was pretty fast I mean, it was like 10 or 15% speed of light, which is insane. That is crazy. Yep. And, and so long as you're having those explosions going off behind the ship and going faster and faster and faster, that was a form of artificial gravity on the ship as well. It, it would only be when you just stop exploding them and then coasting, that's when you would become weightless. But as they're going faster and faster and faster, it was, it was getting up to speed so fast that they would actually have a certain percent of gravity in the spacecraft. So that would have been optimal, actually, you know? I don't even know, man. That's, that's all crazy to me. How are they doing things now? Like, are they, do they do these solar sails and all that stuff? Or what, what do they do now with these? Oh, NASA's tested those. NASA's tested those solar sails in, uh, in Earth's orbit. Yeah, they tested one of those a long time ago, 10 years ago or so. And they're still testing that thing. Those things have to be so massive, though. And whatever payload you have on them has to be so tiny because you don't want any weight you know, on them. So right now, it's not really terribly feasible but if you think about it man that's that would be a way to go like once you get way out there too where the sun doesn't really affect it enough to get you going you can even like direct a laser at it and use a laser to like get it moving faster that's trippy yeah but then you would have to have power to run the laser and if you're right. so far out there you know there's a whole whole considerations but i guess if you have nuclear energy that's running turbines then i guess you could have that energy maybe if the math works out for that production efficiency and how the, hell, how the hell do you slow down a solar sail once you get going? Because if know. you don't have an engine on board, what do you do? I mean, if you're going that fast, could you launch, like, uh, what do they call them? Uh, not, ca count, not counter rockets. I don't know what the term is, but like to, the other way. To oh, blast, retro, 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 retro rockets. Retro yeah, yeah. That, was, that was the word I was looking for. Could you do that? Would that not have enough power to slow you down? But then you have to put rockets on board. That adds weight. Yeah, but just one set to stop. <laughs> just like, or maybe have the have it so the sails can like flip around when you get to a, the next star and then have the solar wind from the next star slow you down by pushing on it the other direction, right? Maybe that's... I have no huh. idea. I never even thought of that. Weird. Yep. Let's do that. All kinds of interesting ideas, right? Yeah, but that's just so funny. Anyway, nuclear explosions. Um, 
So this is the same guy I was talking about the Dyson spheres, right? So let's move on to Dyson spheres. Yeah. Now, do you know? Do you know anything about these things? To me, these as I re- read about them, they just reminded me of like the game Halo, where you yeah. have these things that go around us, you know, some giant structure that somehow captures energy, essentially, yep. right? Yeah, the Halo is a good, a good, um, a good analogy actually. Except that's not really a, a Dyson sphere. That was a whole world unto itself. There was a book in 1970 written about this stuff um, where people lived on a big ring that, that orbited a, a, a huge star, a sun-like star. I forgot what that book was called. It was a trippy book, though. Like millions of people lived on this big ring, like Halo. It's kind of weird. Uh, but Dyson spheres actually are a hypothetical form of capturing and using energy from a civilization's host star in order to power their uh, advanced technologies, their civilization. Now, it was named after Freeman Dyson, but it, he proposed it as a way of locating other civilizations in the universe, not really as a way for humans to get any energy. He, hypo- he, hypothesized, yeah, he hypothesized that any super advanced civilization along the lines of a Kardashev scale level one civilization would need a way of capturing for use enormous amounts of energy. And this would be one option. And if that were the case, we should be able to locate those civilizations using those kind of technologies just by looking for the irregular signatures of their host stars, you know, like the, the, the dimming and flickering of the star. Yeah. Yeah. Right the Card- Kardashev scales, sort of a way of rating civilization's level of technological capabilities, advancement, if you will. Right. Yeah. We're not even, a, we're not even a one. Yeah. And it's essentially, this was an idea proposed by a, a Soviet astronomer, Nikolai Kardashev. Yes. The name. And he talks about basically three types of civilizations that would be able to do these types of things, interstellar travel, all of these, these things, right? You're talking very, very, very high level of technological capacity. For example, type one. One is they can, one is they can use all the energy on their own planet and, and energy from their star. And I think two is they can capture up to hundred percent of the energy from their host star. And three is they can capture uh they can use the energy from the, the galaxy that they're in. Yeah, the whole galaxy. Yeah, that's quite the step up, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. So basically, they're just, what, what you were saying, to tie it back to what you were saying earlier, is that you could try to locate these types of civilizations, these advanced civilizations that may be visiting across these great distances or whatever, right? By yeah. not even necessarily seeing them or even being able to see their star or anything but specifically just looking at these types of fluctuations on the, the resulting energy, right? Because if they're absorbing everything, if we're watching it. It's the luminosity of the star. It right. Would dim and, and it would dim, dim if they're sucking all the energy away, right? If they're right. sucking it in and harnessing all in to do, to power whatever it is, their Bitcoin mines or whatever they're, they're doing. Right. Now, now, the paper you wrote was called The Search for Artificial Stellar Sources of Infrared Radiation. And that was published in 1960. But in more recent times, dude, an example of such a star would be uh, KIC 8462852, fancy, uh, or what has been known, come to be known as Tabby Star, and that was just discovered a few years back, named after the scientist Tabitha Boyan, who discovered this anomalous star. Now, the dimming and flickering of the star is so irregular that scientists still cannot explain what is causing this dimming effect of up to 22%, dude. Now, gases and comets, 22% is insane. That's like one yeah, quarter. They, they thought that with Betelgeuse, actually. And then I guess they figured out what it was. So there's sometimes just not being able to explain it right away. Well, well gases, the- comets, or a host star's planet, or even planets, only cause an average of about 1% dimming. So this dramatic dimming of the star is still unexplained. 22% is huge. And it's not like it's, it's, not like it's on some sort of like repeating, consistent, you know, like it, like it gets bright and it goes dim and it gets bright. It's all over the place. It'll get really dim and then it'll be bright for a few days and then it'll be 22% dim and then it'll flicker and they can't figure out why it's doing this because it's completely irregular. And one suggestion is that it is an advanced alien races superstructure around their host star, which um, some people take that seriously and other people kind of laugh at it, you know? Yeah. And when you talk about structures like this, you're talking, they could be rings around it a whole shell they can talk about almost essentially satellites swarms of satellites essentially yeah it's called a dyson swarm yeah 
Yeah, it wasn't first. Um, it was thought of and described by Dyson Sphere initially. It was and was ultimately named after him, but he did not like that. It actually caused him a lot of dismay that it was named after him. It was first described in a science fiction novel decades before um, his paper was published. And the book was called Star Maker by Olaf Stapleton, and that was published in 1937, dude. And it describes it's a science fiction book, but it describes such technology um, of this one race. Dyson merely expanded on the concept for his paper, not as a feasible or realistic way for us to harness power, but as a way that humans might be able to detect alien civilizations, like I said. And it has since been expanded upon into multiple theoretical types of Dyson spheres and ways to build them. Ultimately, they would be so massive that there is not enough raw material on Earth for humans to come even close to building this thing, right? right. I mean, suggestions such as mining asteroids or the moon to get the raw materials have been put forth. I mean, but the time, manpower, energy, the material to make one may be possible theoretically, but it's totally unrealistic, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you're talking like some Lex Luthor shit, you know? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. If, I mean, especially with our current state of technology, but I don't I don't know that there's enough material to even do a, a minor Dyson sphere. You know, I mean, you could send a few satellites up, but they, they can't get really super close. I mean, we have like those... um those uh, satellites that look at the sun, you know, to check solar storms and stuff. But I mean, they're a long way away and they're still, they still have to have all kinds of filters on them because they, otherwise you can't see anything. Right. I think though, I mean, that's the idea that he had there. And maybe yeah. that would maybe that's just prohibitive and maybe you'll never, I mean, this is all theoretical, right? I mean, look at just solar efficiency, solar power efficiency is getting better and better and better and cheaper and right. cheaper. So, I mean, that's true. So it doesn't have to necessarily be something flying around or maybe that would that, you know, this theoretical type one is something that you can you know, nestle yourself into if you can get close enough to it. Right. When when solar panel, for example, be become, you know, 99 percent efficient over X number of time, whatever it is. Right. And then maybe maybe they are doing that stuff. Right. Then maybe you start, like we said, building stations and and outpost so to speak where you can launch new missions and you're collecting power there on solar arrays as well it doesn't have to be that it's necessarily a ring hovering around or that it's complete these are theoretical classifications you know what i mean that may not be realistic but his idea is well if there's just these technologies we can't imagine um, if they're so super advanced, right. they could have this stuff. Yeah, these would be a, tr- a trend that we could look for as we're scanning the sky with our equipment, looking, That's right. trying to filter out the noise. That's, I think, what this is talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But as far as like humanity, I'm, I have the Dyson spheres, Dyson swarms, Dyson rings, right? But as far as like any of those for humans, I would think you know making some sort of like minor sort of Dyson swarm, you know, with a few hundred satellites circling the sun and relaying some energy back would maybe be possible now. I mean, I think, how, how would they relay it back, you know, to another satellite to get to us though? What do they relay it to? We have to- Does that input- pay for itself? Like at what benefit? We exactly. There's so much sun here. We don't need to launch things out close to the sun. We can just do it right here. Exactly. That's, that's what I was- Maybe it's not hundred percent, but if we can cram, if we get technologically speaking, you know, very, 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 very efficient to where there's very little loss. I mean, there's always going to be loss, right? You're never going to achieve 100%. You've seen those things they're building, like, well, they have one out in the desert here, but they're one in Morocco, I think. And it's like the size, I think it's it's the size of a small United, a state in the United States, but it's those um those solar array, but they're mirrors. It's not like just solar panels, but they're mirrors. And they, and they like, they get all the sun, like focused in on that tower so all the rays of the sun are like beaming in on this tower and, the, and that's what absorbs all the energy to produce, you know, to make the energy. Have you seen that thing? Yeah, actually I've seen that. I think it's on the, I think at this point it's the 395, maybe it's the 215. I'm not sure, but it's on the way out to Mammoth. I can picture it in my mind. I don't know exactly where it is, but on yeah. the way out to Mammoth, they have an array. I, th- I think it's the 395 there. Mo- Morocco though. I think it was Morocco. Yeah. They built one and it, it powers 100% of the energy for Moroccans. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that is insane. Is that, so I, don't, I, guess, I guess that ties into what I was saying, though. I don't think that we need to spend all launch. this time and launch to get... I think the time is better spent getting the ability to harness and, and you know convert 
for now or that power for now yeah but then like you're saying baby steps you gotta take it in steps you can't like run before you walk so yeah same thing but if they make it so it is you know so it is more feasible can you know like you yeah it's all about money too that's what kind of sucks if you could get so much energy back from the satellites focused in on some spot on earth you know to use that energy and it's way more efficient than why wouldn't you do it you know yeah i just don't see how it'd be so much more efficient to build all these big systems that can fail and you gotta launch and maintain and build when you have so much more energy here right you could even capture so there's no need right now at least right now yeah that's what i was yeah just now though but um what do you think about the possibility is that these things are actually out there well that's the thing does it pay off with a technology that we just don't know yet right I yeah but no what, if, what if what if money doesn't matter they're millions of years older than us and they've built these things well that's what i mean if they're just they, they've progressed that many more years in terms of the research and the technology you know r d and everything else and they're just further along beyond what we could envision it's not out of possibility right i mean we've talked just talked about this they would have had to have stripped their you know asteroids and their solar systems bare too of all the the natural resources to, to build these things I don't think there's a planet because there's not a planet big enough that would have enough raw materials to build one of these things around a star. And, and supposedly if you get like an earth like planet out there, right. That's let's say it's three or 10 times larger than earth, then they're not going to be able to do it because they can't even get off the planet because of the gravity. You get to a certain point and there's so much gravity that you're, you're unable to leave. You're stuck on your planet. We're like right at the edge to where we we're even able to get off of our planet. That's pretty weird, huh? Yeah, again, but then take it, right? It's like 100 years ago, we couldn't, didn't think that we'd have these phones or be able to have these conversations that we record over the internet, something called the internet and then publish so other people could listen to over the internet. And here we are. So just because we can't imagine it. I guess they're thinking of- exist or doesn't exist. I guess they're thinking of with chemical rockets, they wouldn't be able to get off their planet. Maybe they found a different way, yeah. Because apparently when it's so big like that, the gravity is so massive, you just, you're stuck. And the creatures on the planet are probably pretty small too. Who knows? <laughs> they wouldn't be very tall if the gravity's that bad. Spectrum of possibility, right? And all these things of chance that happen, right? And maybe something else, certain conditions, something else takes hold and becomes advantageous or it doesn't. And then a few of these anomalies, 36, 40 of them. In yeah. This galaxy, something else happens. Hey. Still seems mighty low to me. I don't know. It's a big galaxy, 36. If, so, but here's the thing. Low. Very low number. Huge, huge, huge place we're talking about here. Huge numbers. You almost have to go. You're right. <laughs> That's a really small number in a big place. It's got to be the case. Yeah, and there's still people out there who say, oh, no, we're, we're it. We're all there is. Isn't that amazing? That just kills me. I talked to someone the other day, and I was talking about it. And he just started, you know, oh, yeah, aliens. And just kind of started mocking me. And then someone else in the room turned around and goes, hey, I believe I believe that, too. What are you talking about? And it, it was a good reaffirmation that, you know, there are other people out there who who actually, like, have looked into it or thought about it, you know, as objectively as possible. Not just, like, shut it down like it's silly, stupid talk, you know. But I couldn't believe that guy did that. He's like, I'm not going to say who it's just like, oh, yeah, aliens like they just Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Roswell was real, too. Right. You can tell me that next. And I'm just looking at him like, are you serious right now? I mean, I don't know. And then to have someone else turn around and go, you know, hey, man, that stuff all happened. And I was like, oh, thank God. Someone else is in the room who heard that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's uh, supposedly it's it's gone from 50 percent of uh, United States believing that aliens exist and have visited Earth. And it's up to like 70 percent now as of 2020. Probably more now because they're seeing it on the mainstream yeah. media. Yeah. So yeah, I thought seven out of 10 was pretty, wow. Because when I first started looking into this like 15 years ago, 13 years ago, it was at 50% um, for the United States. But um, last I saw it was 70, yeah. So that's good. People are starting to open their eyes, you know. And with every new generation, things change as well, so. Well, there becomes to be a larger body of evidence as well, even if it's just circumstantial. You look at pyramids and all these things that are all over the world, like completely different cultures. A lot of the same themes and motifs are there. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're old, but then there's other stuff that would just, that would be even older. Like how did they build that? Sometimes we don't know, right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be possible or, or efficient or, you know, economically viable, but somehow these things were made and 
they could be, you know, like we said, with stuff like the pyramids or whatever, it seems, could be even older than is commonly accepted, just given certain bodies of information. So it's not beyond the reality that there's stuff that's even older than that, that just has, has gone away. Right. It scales again, right? Could, we, could it be that Mars was the initial place we came here for whatever reason? We've talked about that scenario before, but yeah. And uh, you know, you're talking about the pyramids or like the Sphinx um, is probably older than Egyptian civilization. I mean, yeah. Bob Shock Bob Shock is a geologist, and he looked at that and he saw water erosion coming down the side of that thing. And last time there was water in that area of the world, it was like ten plus thousand years ago. Yeah, I think it's like nineteen thousand or something. Oh like wow, that. that's he, yeah. Well, he's up to probably every time. He, every I'm time spouting he, spouting nonsense. Maybe it was nine. <laughs> well, the documentary I saw about it documentary i saw about it was probably 20 years old and he said at the time at least ten thousand years old because that's the last time there was a, a forest in that in that part of the world you Actually, know, yeah, right because the commonly accepted one was like more like five right yeah well yeah th- uh, 3500 bc yeah so 5500 years old but he's like oh no it's, it goes back about ten thousand bc so it has to be at least that old you know just because of the water erosion so, you know, but then Egyptologists just like mocked him out of the room when he tried to present his evidence, you know, like actual evidence. That's crazy. It just seems so yeah. crazy to me. It's so like, if it's 10,000, I mean, that just shows you double, let's say double what the mainstream of that, that you know, what would you call it? The old guard would call it, right? It's just this information could be so, so it could be lost and so old or misinterpreted, whatever it is. Right. Well, what, and what is the before the oldest known civilization that we've come up with is the Sumerians, which goes back, I, I don't know what it was, four or 5,000 BC, right? Yes, maybe 6,000, oh no, maybe 6,000 BC, something like that. But then they found Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. And that thing is dated to like 20 something thousand years back. And it has carvings and stuff all over the, the uh, pillars that they found. And they, they claim they only found maybe 5% or so of, of, the structures down there so that knocks back that pushes back civilization like over doubles it already so that's trippy yeah and they keep finding human evidence further and further back further and further back yeah over three hundred thousand years it's crazy huh well and like they say science progresses one funeral at a time that's (laughs) i guess seems to be true so well let's wrap this up right all right yeah this is a very interesting one and Sometimes thought experiments are good just because they get the conversation going, even if yeah. these classifications of things are more theoretical, rhetorical, not real. You know, it's not like yeah. there's some certification test on it or something. But well, look, look into Tabby's star and see if you can figure it out, because I don't think they've uh, come to a conclusion on that one yet. Twenty two percent dimming. It's pretty weird. But anyway, well, uh, catch us on the next Scatterbrain. You good, Dan? Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>